Mai. Good morning. This is Judith Lay welcoming you to Manx Radio and it's my privilege to welcome you to the start of our Remembrance Sunday coverage here on Manx Radio with a special edition of At Your Service. Manx Radio! Later in the programme, we'll reflect on what we can learn from conflict in modern times in conversation with Very Reverend John Mann, who spent the majority of his adult life in ministry in Northern Ireland. But first, some time to reflect on the price paid for our freedom by those caught in the First and Second World Wars. This mixture of words and music includes Lawrence Binion's For the Fallen, the group Show of Hands reflect on the changed life of the Padre called from his village church to minister to the troops, and an Irishman foresees his death. With proud thanksgiving, a mother for her children, England mourns for her dead across the sea. Flesh of her flesh they were, Spirit of her spirit, fallen in the cause of the free. Solemn the drums thrill, death august and royal, sings sorrow up into immortal spheres. There is music in the midst of desolation, and a glory that shines upon our tears. They went with songs to battle, they were young, straight of limb, true of eye, steady and aglow. They were staunch to the end against odds uncounted. They fell with their faces to the foe. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. They mingle not with their laughing comrades again. They sit no more at familiar tables of home. They have no lot in our labour of the daytime. They sleep beyond England's foam. But where our desires are and our hopes profound, felt as a wellspring that is hidden from sight, to the innermost heart of their own land they are known, as the stars are known to the night. As the stars that shall be bright when we are dust, moving in marches upon the heavenly plain, as the stars that are starry in the time of our darkness, to the end, to the end, they remain. They They shall shall grow grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning, we will remember them.
Hajigudson the Vaishan, Money Shingan to Marn Chit the Vaishan. Hajin Aish Danus, Nana Blienton Dera a Hororo. Eglina Grania, Asun Savora, Nimaj Kunyanoru. Seasoned veteran, the volunteer, 
The men of every rank and station So full of courage, so lean in years I bless them all, the saint, the sinner The seasoned veteran, the volunteer The men of every rank and station So full of courage, so lean I know that I shall meet my fate somewhere among the clouds above. Those that I fight I do not hate, those that I guard I do not love. My country is Kiltartan Cross, my countrymen Kiltartan's poor. No likely end could bring them loss or leave them happier than before. Nor law nor duty bade me fight, nor public man, nor cheering crowds. A lonely impulse of delight drove to this tumult in the clouds. I balanced all, brought all to mind. The years to come seemed waste of breath, a waste of breath the years behind, in balance with this life, this death. The voices of Imelda Staunton and Jim Carter with music from Show of Hands. The very Reverend John Mann is a Church of England priest who has spent the majority of his adult life in Northern Ireland. First as a university student in the 1970s, living in Belfast during some of the bleakest and bloodiest years of the Troubles. Then, after ordination, he served in four different parishes, mostly around Belfast, before ending his Northern Ireland ministry as Dean of St Anne's Church of Ireland Cathedral in Belfast. John and his Manx-born wife Helen are now living in retirement in Laxey, and John's my special guest today. He comes from a very musically gifted family, and indeed is a musician himself so that might well have been a career option for John. So when and how did he realise that serving God and his people through ordained ministry was what he was really called to do? My school days were in England, in Essex, and I was in the church choir and the bell ringer and all those sorts of things. And I remember even at the stage of confirmation uh, thinking, I wonder, is the church something that I, I, I want to be deeply involved in? Do I feel a calling to this? And, and then, as I think with a lot of people, you know, life moves on, you do other things. And we moved to the Isle of Man when I was 18, and then I studied at Belfast. And I think it was there that really I felt the call to the ministry. When I went to Belfast and um, at university uh, where I was staying was the Church of Ireland Student Centre. It was, you know, a church community that I was part of as a student. I think that helped immeasurably. Obviously, during the holiday times, I was part of the church community in Laxey as well. And um, so I, I had both experiences, really, and I would say that both were important. But it was a time that the church was um, responding very much to the situation um, in, in Northern Ireland at the time. Um, but also as students, well, we were 
also ordinary students that were were searching and thinking and discussing and you know, sitting up late at night and talking about you know how the world could be better and all that kind of thing. So there were lots of aspects to it and uh, involvement in the community was something also that students were very much involved with. It's often said that churches were part of the problem but part of the solution, you know, because uh, all of the churches were identified as being part of one side or other of the community and that polarisation was something that none of us sat comfortably with. So it was something that we were trying to break down and as young people, of course, you, you see the way through much more simply. There were ways in which we could and did try our best and obviously through prayer and worship and trying to uh, bring people together in any way, particularly young people, was something that we were conscious that if we could do it, we would do it. After ordination, you were in a series of four different parishes in Northern Ireland. Tell us a little bit about those four appointments, John. The first was in Newton Abbey, the northern suburb of Belfast, really post-war housing. Great place, uh, you know, church built in the 50s and very vibrant parish. I was curate there for three years and then uh, moved across the city into East Belfast and to a more uh, older established parish there and then moved up to the north coast of Ireland, the beautiful north coast of Ireland, which is really, really lovely, not far from the Giant's Causeway. And we were there for four years. I was incumbent of two rural parishes there. And it was at that point that we then spent a short while in Winchester Diocese. Uh, We had a, a young family then and we were thinking, well, maybe it was time to move back across the water. And then I got a call. It was a Friday morning, actually. I remember it well. Helen was shopping. I got a call from somebody in Belfast. Would I come back to go back to the original parish that I'd started in in Newton Abbey and be rector there? It was an 11-year gap, and the long and short of it is that we went back and we spent nine further years in that parish then. And there was another nine years, actually, that I spent in South Belfast in another parish in the university area before I went to St Anne's Cathedral. So by the time you came to St Anne's Cathedral, you came with a lot of experience, a lot of experience of people, a lot of experience of the challenges of ministry in such a troubled place. Northern Ireland society had transitioned in this period. We'd gone through the Good Friday Agreement, certainly largely the violence we were experiencing in the 70s and the 80s and early 90s. That was largely put an end to. Life was opening up. That period of seeing the army uh, on the streets and that was all over. Life was becoming more normal, if you like, much more normal. But I did, of course, have the experience of those years. It's an interesting thing, you know, an English person being dean of Belfast Cathedral. I was certainly the first person that hadn't grown up in the community to be there, but I had at least the experience. Although I was an outsider, effectively, I was an outsider with, with some decades of knowledge about the place. Well, indeed you were, because if we just flip back quickly to those years at university, there would be no-go areas, there would be restrictions on your coming and going that you would just have to accept. Interestingly, a cathedral tries to be seen as as a centre for everybody, a, a place that draws everybody together. 
surely that would have been an incredibly difficult thing to do in an area that, that is troubled. Yes, it, it is definitely true that the cathedrals are seen as very open places. You know, people feel free to come into them and they're, you know, they're open all day long and there are services throughout the day and it is a, a safe space for people to come into. And I, I think all of those things are true about St Anne's. There are other things about it as well. I mean, it it is, of course, the Church of Ireland Cathedral um, and yet the, the Church of Ireland is only a small proportion of the um, population. So St Anne's has always tried to present itself as being an open space for the whole community. Now, obviously, all of the other churches have big central churches, including the Roman Catholic St Peter's Cathedral in Belfast, which is a wonderful building. But St Anne's does have a special place, and it was seen very much, I think, as being the cathedral for the city and where um, big events and big commemorations would take place and be a place where ecumenism was very important. So we could bring people together there and indeed all sorts of celebrations happened in the cathedral and it's a tremendous privilege to be working there at all, let alone be dean. When I went there, the choir was going through a, d- a difficult period, as, as sometimes choirs do. So we were rebuilding, and we had a new director of music, and we were looking at how we were going to develop the choir in a new way, and we decided that we were going to do this across community. So I needed to talk with the bishops about this, because you know, we were bringing particularly the girls' choir, which we formed first. We were in girls from Roman Catholic schools as well as uh, state schools, and they were largely Protestants together to sing together, and yet they're Anglican forms of worship, so it was important that I talked it through with, with the church leaders about what we were doing in order that we could integrate them in singing together because we thought, well, music is a wonderful thing to bring people together and at least when we are worshipping together in this situation. And it, it worked really well. And I think, you know, one of the, the memories I have is of two of the girls that had sung a solo each and I knew that one was from one school and one was from another, but other people didn't know. But to see them go out arm in arm was really good. We had many buses, we picked them up from school, so they were going from school to school to be picked up. And of course, they, they wore their school uniforms, which identified them as where they, they were from. But to them, it didn't matter. We never had any real problems in that way, just the opposite, that actually they loved being together. Which brings us to the other thing that I would like us to talk about on this Remembrance Day. What can we learn from reflecting on the mistakes that have been made and the things that have gone wrong and the violence that's happened in the past. What can we learn from it today, John? Well, if I can describe, Judith, how I think people felt, say, for example, in the 1980s when I was there full-time working, I would say that there was quite a feel in the community that we were somehow different. The world out there was normal, but in Belfast, we were sort of different. And, you know, we couldn't really enjoy normal life and because we had certain restrictions. And you come to accept those restrictions. You may not like them, but you accept that this was normality for us. And I think that if there's a message that I would take out of that, when we realise that actually things could change and did change very much for the better, that it is so important these days that we, we don't develop a mindset where there's a multitude of problems across the world at the moment that somehow things can't change for the better. We must always be hopeful that things can change because things do change. You know, they will change if we've got the will to do something about it. And you have seen it. You've lived through it. You have seen 
change and growth. But we can feel so easily overwhelmed. I suppose the thing is it's easy looking back to Northern Ireland and say, well, it did improve. But one has got to think about the mindset of where you are. And it, it is for us to do something about it, not to develop the thought that, you know, we can't change it. This is inevitable. Do you think the churches have a special responsibility to lead that crusade for positive thinking? I'm not saying that the church has got to have all the answers, but it, do you think the church has a responsibility to lift us and keep us focused on the change that that we want to bring about? Well, I think we've got to, to be conscious that we are part of the problem, that, you know, we're all part of the problem. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the churches in Northern Ireland were perceived to be part of the problem as well as part of the solution. So if we're looking to ourselves to see what we are doing in the way that we're living, certainly I think that then we can direct by our actions and our thoughts and our prayers without being seen to be telling people what they should be doing. Several of the, the evening hymns I really love, The Day Thou Gavest Lord Is Ended, is beautiful and brings that sense in which right across the world that, that wave of prayer is happening.
The choir girl Isabel with the hymn choice of my guest today, Very Reverend John Mann. There are many more strands to John's interests and involvements now, and I look forward to welcoming him back to the programme in the near future. And now let's finish with a look at our notice board. And, as usual, on this Remembrance Sunday, later this morning there'll be wreath-laying and acts of remembrance at war memorials all around our island. Here on Manx Radio, John Moss will present a special Remembrance Day documentary, starting shortly after this programme at a quarter past ten. At a quarter to eleven, we'll cross to the War Memorial on Douglas Promenade, where Ben Hartley and Sean Cowper will bring you full coverage of the Act of Remembrance and wreath-laying ceremony to be held there at eleven o'clock. Then this afternoon, just before three o'clock, we'll join John Moss for live coverage of the National Service of Remembrance from St John's Chapel and the wreath-laying ceremony that'll follow it. And now some other items from our notice board. We start with a service time change, and this is for Sandygate Methodist Chapel, where the new Sunday service time is four o'clock. And this afternoon, the service will be led by Reverend Richard Hooten, with a warm welcome for all. A number of people have been asking if the Cranmer Prayer Book Reading Competition will go ahead this year, and the organiser, Mrs Jill Qualtro, tells me that the answer is yes. She says we're full steam ahead for Saturday the 26th of November. The Thomas Cranmer Prayer Book Reading Competition will be held in St George's Church in Douglas at 2 o'clock on Saturday, November the 26th. There'll be three age groups, under 11, 11 to 14 and then 15 to 18. And the winners of the two older age groups will qualify to represent the Diocese of Soder and Man at the national finals, which will be held in Liverpool in February next year. Competitors can choose their own reading from any part of the Book of Common Prayer. And if you'd like more information, have a word with Jill Qualtro on 470-476. Thank you to Tim Norton for the latest news from Café Lingo, the welcoming way to learn English and make new friends. Twice-monthly midweek meet-and-chat groups start this week from 10am to half-past 11 in the Windsor Coffee Company next to the Promenade Methodist Church here in Douglas. They'll be on the first and third Wednesday of each month, beginning this Wednesday, the 16th of November. These are in response to students wanting additional opportunities to meet people and practice speaking English. Café Lingo have also planned two extra activities. Their art relaxation sessions on Saturday the 19th of November and Saturday December the 3rd, delivered by I'll Listen. They'll be from half past 10 to 12 noon and while these sessions are primarily intended to support Ukrainian guests, they'll be available to all Café Lingo students as a relaxing activity following beginners' language lessons related to art. For more information, go to the Facebook page Café Lingo Isle of Man or have a word with Karen on 458-340. Next Saturday, the 19th, everyone's invited to a morning of inspiration, exploration and contemplation, brought to you by Churches Alive in Man World Development Committee. It centres around climate issues and the church, with keynote speaker Reverend John Plant, a Church of England priest who is also the Church Relations Manager for Christian Aid. There'll also be presentations from Monsignor John Devine, Reverend Liz Hull, Three Gen, Isle of Man Biosphere, Tier Fund, Fairtrade and CAFOD, 
and it's all in St Andrew's United Reformed Church on Glen Crutchery Road by the traffic lights here in Douglas, where there's good parking facilities and easy access with no steps. It's next Saturday the 19th and the doors open at 9am for a 9.30 start and it'll finish promptly at 1pm. Admission is completely free, but if you can make a little donation, that would be most welcome. Next Sunday, the 20th, the Mariners Choir is in Trinity Methodist Church at Rosemount here in Douglas for a service at half past six at which Reverend Dr Janet Corlett will preach and afterwards there'll be the usual generous supper and community hymn singing. And that's all that we have time for now, but I'll be back tonight at nine o'clock for sundown. Easy listening music to round off your weekend and I'd love you to join me if you can. Do please email me if you've got items for the notice board, judithlay at manxradio.com. So, till whenever we meet again, this is Judith saying thank you for listening, and I wish you and those you love a blessed and peaceful week, and a very good morning. We'll meet again by moonlight, or in the rising sun. Said I'd be back by winter And you said you'd wait for me You made me a crown of roses I wove you a gown of trees I was barely twenty And you just seventeen So goodbye till the next time And until we In the fields or in the forest I just don't know when With the changing of the seasons When it's over and it's done We'll meet again by moonlight Or in the rising sun I'm the farmer in his field The tenor in the choir I'm the driver at the wheel I'm the miner at the coalface I'm the soldier in the rain The flowers now are fading The memories remain So goodbye Until we meet again In the fields or in the forest I just don't know where